Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We'll get started in just a moment. If this is your first time here, please consider subscribing so that you may stay up to date with the latest podcast. And if our podcast brings value to your life, please consider sharing it with family and friends. Thanks for listening. And now here's today's podcast. Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. Y'all grab your Bibles. Let's get ready to dive into the Word of God today. Luke 19. The Gospel of Luke chapter 19. Valerie, you fill my water, please, ma'am. got my water in the first service too and I asked my 13 year old to throw me my water bottle and he literally threw me the water bottle so don't tell a middle school boy to throw stuff if you don't want it thrown alright Luke 19 verse 28 says this after telling this story Jesus went on toward Jerusalem walking ahead of his disciples it's short I'm going to read it twice after telling this story Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. Father, I just pray that you help us today to prepare our hearts to hear what it is that you, you brought us here to say. Lord, I pray that you would help us to tune our spiritual ears, uh, open them to hear what you say, that you'd open our, help us to open our spiritual eyes to see what it is you're showing us. And Lord, I pray above all things, maybe, that you give us the courage and the humility to hear your word and to put it into practice because we're wasting our time if we only come here to hear but not to do. Lord, I pray that you're glorified in everything that's said and done today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if this verse sounds familiar, it's because it's the exact same verse we started with last week. Now, I'm not preaching the same message, so y'all can calm down. But I am starting in the same place. Now, last week we started here and we looked backward towards, uh, towards what the story was. We wanted to know. It says when after Jesus told the story, we want to know what story it was. So we looked backwards to find out the story that he had just told. This week, we're going to turn around and go forward and follow him on his journey toward Jerusalem. Now, today, when Bree said that uh, at the opening of the service today, is Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday, scripturally, begins right here in this scripture. As soon as he started toward Jerusalem, Palm Sunday began. And it also began what is known as the Passion Week. The Passion Week. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I don't think I ever knew why we called it Passion Week. I didn't know what that meant. I, I watched the movie, as many of you did, The Passion of the Christ. I've known it was called Passion Week. But I really didn't know what, what that was. Or if I did ever know, it left you know, with my hair. Or, or what's, at some point, it, it left me. The, the word passion is from a Latin word that means suffering. So the passion of the Christ is literally the suffering of Jesus. And he certainly did suffer, didn't he? In the days uh, and the moments leading up to and including the crucifixion. But as Jesus stands here today in Luke 19, east of Jerusalem anticipating what he knows is going to be his last few days on this earth, what he knows is going to be the most intense physical and emotional and psychological and spiritual pain 
that any human being had ever endured, I want us to focus on a different kind of passion of Jesus. Now, while the word originally meant suffering, it certainly evolved over the years, and now the Oxford Dictionary defines passion to mean an intense desire or a strong and barely containable emotion. And so today's message is called the passions, plural, the passions of the Christ. I want us to look at the events of this last week of his life and and look at the events that got Jesus fired up. From the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday to the hours of prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, together from the scripture we're going to experience the intense desires and barely controllable emotions of our Savior, his passions. From joy to sadness, from anger to soul-crushing grief. And we're going to spend some time also reflecting on our own passions. Now, John, why? Why are we doing this? Why are we spending time on this? Why are we, why are we even worried about the passions of Jesus? Because passions reveal priorities. Passions reveal priorities. I want you to think about it. You're only passionate about the things you really care about, right? I, I drive a school bus for the county, and, and um, this week I had to get on to one of my students. Imagine that, getting on to a student for being too loud on a metal tube. Um, and so I, I asked her to, to settle down. Apparently, she had a few choice words about the bus driver after I told her what I needed to tell her. It was only loud enough for those around her to hear. It's the first thing she said all ride that I couldn't hear. So anyway, she said it only loud enough for them around her to hear. Some of the students rose to my defense. Um, I told them I appreciated that, but they just needed to let it go. Why? Because the opinion of a rebellious and disrespectful 13-year-old is not real high on my priority list. I just don't care. I did not care what she thought of me in that moment, so I didn't make it a big deal. We deal with those things in different ways, right? So you're only passionate about the things that you really care about. I want us to track down the passions of Jesus because we need to understand the priorities of Jesus. So there's four passions that we're going to talk about today, four passions of Christ that we're going to talk about today. Here's the first one. Jesus was passionate about praise and worship. He was passionate about praise and worship. We're going to keep reading in Luke 19. We're going to go to verse 37. After he started towards Jerusalem, the the account tells us that people began to show up and started to lay palm branches on the road that he was walking, thus Palm Sunday. And we get to this portion right here. It says, when he, Jesus, reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles that they had seen. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Or as we sang this morning, Hosanna to the king. Peace in in heaven and glory in highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees, the religious people of the day, among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. And Jesus replied, I want you to look all the way to the end. You see that exclamation point there? He's fired up. Jesus said, if they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. There were a lot of times in the ministry of Jesus over the three and a half years that he had been on this earth that he told people to be quiet. Lots of times. To keep what he had done for them 
on the down low, so to speak. He would heal somebody, and he would say, now don't tell anybody. Like a lame person is going to walk in, and ain't nobody going to say nothing. Right? Nobody going to ask any questions. But Jesus said, listen, don't tell anybody. Because he had to get to the cross at just the right time. Right? There was a will of God, but there was also a timeline of God, as there always is. And so in order for him to fulfill all the prophecies, he had to be in the right place at the right time. So too much, too soon, too much notoriety, too much praise, too much attention, too soon would have thrown everything off. But now we're in this moment, only days away from the cross. And in this moment, Jesus took his hand off the throttle. He was, he was no longer holding anybody back at this time. Now, much has been made about the, the, the hypocrisy of the crowd that day. Because at least some of those, maybe many of those, who were shouting praises to God in that moment, in just a few days' time, would then be shouting, crucify him. Right? And it's true. But there are many sincere and honest people in that crowd that day that were offering up true praise to the one that they knew, or at least sincerely believed to be the Messiah, the one that they had been waiting on. The Gospel of John in, in chapter 12 tells us that they were, the people were still buzzing about the miraculous resurrection of Lazarus and all the other miracles that Jesus had performed in his day. So when, when they stopped, as they're walking to Jerusalem for the Passover, and when they thought about the goodness of the Lord, when they thought about the way maker, when they thought about the promise keeper, when they thought about the miracle worker, right? When they thought about the soul saver and the chain breaker and the heart mender, they absolutely overflowed with praise and worship. It was a city-stopping praise. Even the Pharisees, the religious people who were absolutely not interested in praising Jesus, showed up when they started to praise And when they told Jesus to shut it down, he told them passionately, exclamation point at the end, if they they keep quiet, the rocks are going to start crying out. This translation says that the rocks are going to burst into cheers. Jesus was passionate about praise and worship. It was a moment of unfettered joy for him. As he reveled in two different things, he reveled in the expressions of gratitude and faith that his followers were showing him in their praise, and I think he enjoyed the fit-inducing anger of the Pharisees. If you can get in a place where your followers are happy and your enemies are mad, it's a good day. It's a good day. And he loved both of those things. So here's my question. If praise is so powerful that it stirs up the enemies of God, if praise is so powerful that it gets the attention of people who previously wanted nothing to do with Jesus, if praise is so powerful that it can shut down a city, if praise is so God-ordained that he programmed a backup plan into the inorganic atoms of a rock, If praise is so powerful that Jesus Christ was passionate about it, then why in the world do people in too many American churches sit or stand in awkward silence every week? 
Why are we so casual about something that Jesus is so passionate about? How come we can just take it or leave it? When Jesus said, this moment right here is so pregnant with spiritual potential that if they don't release their praise right here and right now, the silent voices of creation will take over and do it for them. Churches are always looking for ways to turn the attention of the people onto what they're doing. Hopefully to turn the attention of the people onto Jesus. What if we've had that particular tool the whole time? Passionate, sincere people praising and worshiping their God has incredible spiritual power. Didn't Jesus say it for us? If I'm lifted up, I'll draw people to me. Maybe the problem in too many churches is that we're not lifting him up. Maybe we're lifting up our praise team that we love or enjoy. Maybe we're lifting up praises to draw people to ourselves. But he said if, we, if he would lift him up, if we would lift him up, then he would do the drawing. He would do the work. We do the praising. He does the working. I think that's a good deal, y'all. I think it's a good deal. Don't you think it's time for us to make praise and worship a priority in our own lives, the way it was in the life of Jesus. The last five days of his life on this earth, he didn't have time to fool with things that he wasn't passionate about. He didn't have time to fool with things that were not a priority. Praise and worship was among the things that he prioritized in his last few days on earth. So the question is, is it one of our passions? Is it one of our priorities? Here's the second thing that Jesus was passionate about. Jesus was passionate about people. He was passionate about people. Let's keep reading. Luke 19, starting in verse 41. But as, So we just closed out this chapter with him. Or not the chapter. We just closed out this account with, uh, with people praising. Right in the middle of that it says, But as he came closer to Jerusalem, he saw the city ahead and he began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it's too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. This came to pass in 70 AD, less than 40 years from the moment he was saying this. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. In 2007, I had the privilege of, of going to Israel and I walked the road that leads from the Mount of Olives to the city of Jerusalem. It is a twisting and winding road as they, as they contoured it back and forth uh, down the Mount of Olives. At one point, you get to a certain turn and the city of Jerusalem just opens up in front of you. And it was at this spot, just minutes after he passionately defended and promoted exuberant praise and worship, that Jesus is once again overcome by his barely containable emotions and he wept over the city of Jerusalem. 
Now, I want you to notice that he wasn't weeping over the city's architecture. He wasn't weeping about their booming economy. He wasn't weeping about its historical or its religious or its political significance. He was mourning over the people. I want you to you want you to see another time during this week where his sorrow also overflowed for the people of Jerusalem. This was in Matthew 23, 37. Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers, how often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. In this passage, Jesus was just teaching. He was just sitting outside the temple in the courtyard teaching the people, and he just bursts out into this passionate plea over the hardness of the people's hearts. In Luke, the passage we read to begin with, he had been caught up in the praises of the people, and, and when it, but his mind turned to the missed opportunity of the people of Jerusalem for the, for the peace and the salvation of God, and he wept. Jesus wept over people, over the loss of their lives that would happen in 70 AD when the Roman army took over, over the loss of their souls that would happen much sooner. He was passionate about people. We sang in in one of the songs this morning, break my heart for what breaks yours. What breaks the heart of Jesus? Well, what did he weep over? People. He wept over people. So the question that's been haunting me this week in preparation for this message is, am I that passionate about souls? Are people my absolute passion and priority? You see, there is much to be upset about in this world, right? This world's nuts, right? Sin is being promoted in ways that Previous generations of people could never have even imagined. Wrong is being exalted as right. Right is being persecuted, sometimes even prosecuted as wrong. Seems like the whole world has turned upside down. And there are many, many people in the church who are upset, and rightfully so. There are people who are passionate about it. People who are angry about it. But how many of us have spent any amount of time weeping over the souls that are being lost in our nation? How many of us have spent time weeping over the souls that are being deceived by the lies of the enemy that he's perpetrating through the media and through every other means he can? Are we more passionate about changing their votes or about changing their eternity? Are we more passionate about winning the debate on social media or are we passionate about winning their souls face to face? Jesus stood and wept. Not over the corrupt political system, though it was. Not over the culture that was too heavily influenced by the the heathen Romans, and it was. Jesus wept over their souls. God help us. God help us to channel our passions in the direction of God's priorities. And his top priority is people. 
So much so that he would just days from then suffer and die for those very people. People who would spit on him and drive nails in his hands. People who would reject him and deny his deity. He died for him anyway. And in the last week of his life, people were never far from the mind of Jesus. Here's the third passion of Christ. Jesus was passionate about purity and prayer. Purity and prayer. We're just going to keep reading. We're just walking through the events of the last week of his life. Verse 45. Then Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people selling animals for sacrifices. He said to them, the, scripture declare, the scriptures declare, my temple will be a house of prayer. But you have turned it into a den of thieves. We've seen passionate joy from Jesus over praise and worship. We've seen passionate tears as he wept over the people of Jerusalem. Now we see maybe his most famous emotion. We see the righteous anger that he displays and that reveals his passion for purity and for prayer. So in this moment, Jesus was absolutely set on fire by two things. One, his father's house was being used to cheat people. Under the Old Testament law, if you were going to worship God, you had to bring an animal sacrifice. The, the, the problem was that for those who were in the city of, of Jerusalem for Passover, the vast majority were not from Jerusalem. So they had, had traveled distances, long distances, over difficult terrain, sometimes walking, sometimes on some sort of animal uh, of, uh, that, uh, that bore their burdens for them. They, they had come a lot, of, a lot of hard roads, and they got to Jerusalem, and, and they just didn't want to have to drag an animal with them. They, they were heavy, they were cumbersome, they were slow, they were a pain to chase all throughout the countryside as they came. So what they preferred to do was purchase an animal that was appropriate when they got to Jerusalem. It was easier. The problem was that the people who were offering these animals, who set their tables up in the very courtyard of the temple, were not trying to bless these weary pilgrims. This was not done as a kindness. They were selling these animals at exorbitant prices. It's like those stinking $4 bottles of water at Six Flags, right? They are not trying to help you. <laughs> they, ain't, they don't care that you're thirsty. They want your $4, all right? The, the markup was astounding on these animals. There was also a temple tax that they had to pay. This was instituted by the Roman government. Again, these people came from all over the world. They had all different kinds of currency in their pockets that reflected the areas from which they came. But the temple tax had to be paid in one particular currency. The Gospel of Matthew says that there were money changers present at this point as well. And they were exchanging whatever currency you had from wherever you came from for the currency of the day. But they were again charging exorbitant fees. So you might give them $100 worth of your currency and you might do well to get back 70 or 75 or maybe even less. And Jesus was absolutely livid over the corruption and the extortion that was happening in that sacred place that was supposed to be for them, for people to connect with God. You see, they were connecting with their God, all right, but their God was money and they had no time or interest for the one true 
living God. So Jesus drove them out, turned over their tables, set the animals free. I'd have loved to watch that. Just set them all free, and he, he, just, he tore up their business. Why? Because he was passionate over purity. They were defiling his father's house, and he drove them out because purity is a priority for Jesus. Here's the second thing that's, that just set him on fire that day. Not only was he upset about what, uh, what it was being used for, he was also upset for what it was not being used for. He said this temple was intended to be a house of prayer for all nations. He was quoting Isaiah 56 when he said that. You know Jesus actually cleansed the temple, drove people out twice. Not just once, he did it twice. He, he did it in this instance on the last week of his life. That's what we've been talking about. But he also did it at the beginning of his ministry. And it's recorded in John chapter 2. Not at the end of his ministry, but in John 2. As a matter of fact, it's recorded immediately after the, the miracle at the wedding in Cana. It says it was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. So Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle and sheep and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some ropes, chased them all out of the temple, drove out the sheep and the cattle, scattered the money changers' coins over the floor, and turned over their tables. And then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And then his, uh, his disciples remembered this prophecy from Scripture. Look at this word, passion for God's house will consume me. The word that they translated passion here really literally means fire. The kind of fire that a jealous spouse has for another, has for his spouse. In the Old Testament, God says, I'm a jealous God. I'm a jealous God. Jesus was jealously, passionately protective of the original intent of that temple, which was prayer. Jesus was passionate about prayer. It had been, if you read the Gospels, prayer has been a, had been a priority throughout the life and ministry of Jesus. Why? Because if you think about it, prayer pretty much ties together all of the things that he's passionate about. All of his priorities. Prayer, it, uh, prayer is really a form of praise and worship. Or praise and worship is really a form of prayer. It's communion, communication with God. People connect with the Father through prayer. People get purified from their sin and begin to treat each other the right way when they pray. So it makes sense that Jesus wanted to protect the, the, the place that was supposed to be, above every place on earth, a place of prayer. And he let his passion reveal how much he prioritizes prayer. Now here's one last passion from the very last week of his life. A week that had been filled with great passion. Jesus is passionate about purpose. He's passionate about purpose. Luke 22, we've got to jump a couple chapters because the rest of the, the next couple chapters record the things that he was teaching the people um, in the temple during this last week. Here we are in verse 15, chapter 22. Jesus said, he's, he's now just with the 12 disciples, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. This literally means I have had my heart set on doing this with you. I couldn't wait 
to do this with you guys. In other words, Jesus was passionate about having this Passover meal with them. I want to look at one other scripture, and then we'll hopefully pull all this together. Luke 22, just a few verses later in that chapter, verses 41 through 44. Jesus walked away about a stone's throw. This is the Garden of Gethsemane. He knelt down and he prayed. Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will to be done and not mine. And then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him, and he prayed, look at this, more fervently, more passionately, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. He passionately desired to eat the Passover with his disciples. He prayed and travailed with great passion in the Garden of Gethsemane. Why? Because Jesus was passionate about his purpose. Why did he come to earth in the first place? Why was he here? Luke 4 tells us he came to preach the good news, to heal, to deliver, to set the captives free. John 3.16 tells us that he came to be the sacrifice for our sins so that those of us who believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. In another place in the Gospels, he says that he came to fulfill every bit of the law. He came to be the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. This was the purpose of Jesus, and it gave birth to his greatest passions. Jesus had to eat the Passover meal with them at that moment in order to fulfill the prophecies and fulfill the law. Jesus had to, he had to take the cup of suffering in the garden because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission, there's no forgiveness of sin. Jesus had to drink the cup of judgment in the garden because he was perfect and sinless, but he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could be called the righteousness of God. His life on this earth, his obedience to the will of God, his death on the cross, that was the purpose of his life on the earth. And had he not fulfilled his purpose, he would have wasted his time on this earth. And is the same not true for us? If we don't get busy about kingdom purpose, we will get to the end of our days and we'll have wasted our time. What were the passions of the Christ? His deepest passions revealed his greatest priorities. Praise and worship, prayer and purity, people, kingdom purpose. Now listen, I know there are only so many hours in the day. You're like, goodness, John, another one of these messages where I got stuff to do, right? Listen, I've heard this over and over in my life, and, and I've found this to be true. You make time for what you're passionate about. I don't remember a day when I said, you know, I just didn't even eat today. I just didn't even have time to eat. Listen, this boy is passionate about eating. I find ways to eat. Even if I got to grab it on the way out the door, drive down the road with it, whatever, I'm going to eat because it's a priority for me. You have, you make the time for the stuff that you're passionate about. But listen, I want to tell you this, because y'all know I, I, I've been in church since nine months before I was born. I am a church boy. 
and I have fought against a religious spirit my whole life just because of the way I was raised. So I want to tell you this as a reforming religious person. The solution to the issues that have been raised today, the solution is not for you to do more. The solution is not for you to try harder. The solution is not for you to stop being passionate about fishing or football or whatever your deal is. Okay? The solution is not some religious guilt trip. The solution, uh, it sounds seems really simplistic, seems really flower childish, but the solution is love. The solution is love. Why, why did Jesus do what he did? Why was he passionate about, about, uh, about people? Because he loved them. Why did he come to the cross? Why did he come to the earth in the first place? For God so loved that he came and did everything that he did. It's love. If we have a priority problem, and, and most of us do at one level or the other, if we have a problem with misplaced or, or with muted passions, the solution is not to fake it till you make it. The solution is not to force it. The solution is to fall madly, deeply in love with Jesus Christ over and over and over again. Why? Because talking to the one that you love is natural. Talking to the one that you, that you love is natural. Loving the people that, that the one you love also loves is natural. Worshiping the one that you adore is natural. Aligning your priorities with the one that you love is natural. That's how Jesus could say so confidently in John 15, if you love me, you'll do what I say. Because nothing rearranges a person's priorities or pulls out their passions more than love. You just need, we just need to fall more and more in love with Jesus. You ever seen a big old burly man that scares the life out of people just when he walks in the room, fall in love with some little old girl, and just be this big old teddy bear? Y'all ever seen that? Like, y'all ain't never seen that? Do y'all not watch people? Y'all need to go to the mall. Like, what is wrong with y'all? Go, you see these big old dudes that have this, and some little old girl turns his head, falls in love, and he's just, he's just goo. He's just a big old tub of goo. Loving goo. Right? I, I have been a relatively sane individual most of my life. That's debatable. We can talk about that later. But these little grandbabies have popped out, and I have just lost my mind. I do all kinds of stupid things because I love these little grandbabies. I danced with AZ last night to play that funky music, white boy. Because she smiled, and as long as she was smiling, I was going to do whatever I could call dancing, right? Because love rearranges your priorities and pulls out your passions more than guilt or shame will ever do. So today I'm just here to say, let's just check our love level in our relationship with the if you've been pinched by the Holy Spirit, convicted, shown some things that you, that you need to fix, it starts with love. Because once you love Him, you'll serve Him. You'll worship Him. You'll do anything He tells you to do. That's the power of love. Y'all stand with me if you don't mind.
So here's how we're going to end the service today. It's going to be a little bit different than normal. I want us to take communion together. Uh, Since we normally do that in the Good Friday service, but that wasn't a part of what the the rest of the pastors wanted to do. So uh, we're going to do it on Palm Sunday, which is the way I did it when I grew up. So um, we're going to have communion together today. So this this altar call is really uh, multi-purpose. So one, anytime the Lord we read from the word, there's opportunity for the Holy Spirit to teach us something, to show us something we need to change. So if that's the case, then I want to I want us to spend the time to hear what he has to say and to fix whatever it is that he's showing us, to repent. And, and repentance really is about turning around and walking the other way. So it's not just saying I'm sorry, it's about actual life change. So I just want to invite you to do what I've been doing all week, and that's hearing the word and repenting. Or if you have anything else going on in your life, if you have something going on that you need to pray about, then please come and pray about that. We've, had, we, we've got some folks that have family members with cancer. We have some folks with, going through having decisions to make. Whatever you need to pray about, this altar is always open. But because we're also going into this time to share in the Lord's Supper, then, then I want you to also use the time to just check your heart. Because the word's very clear that we shouldn't partake in the Lord's Supper unworthily with, with unrepented sin. And so I just want us to, uh, for us to take these next few minutes. Uh, she's going to sing a, a song. And, and let's just reflect and hear what the Spirit has to say to us. And if He draws you to the altar, come on and pray. Okay? If not, after that, after that we're going to have communion together in just a minute. Let's pray. Father, we just thank You for Your Word. And I pray, Lord, for the courage to hear it, uh, for the humility to, uh, to, to hear it and apply it. And I pray that You'd help us to put it into practice in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would uh, that you would draw every person to this altar, Lord, that uh, that that you want to come because I know that you want to meet people in the moment of their need and at the point of their need, and I pray that you would do that right now. But Lord, I know that that the purpose that you sent the Holy Spirit to this earth for is to lead us and guide us to truth, to search our hearts, and to help us to align our priorities and to align our passions with the priorities and passions of the Word. And I pray that you would do that in our, in our lives, that you would reveal sin to us. Uh, there's anything that's in our lives that would make us unworthy, Lord, in, in participating in uh, your body and your blood. I pray that you'd show it to us and help us to repent. Bless this time together, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.